Hello and welcome to Screen Out Loud. Coming up we have a review of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, a TV preview of Penny Dreadful, a Rollercoaster Tycoon 4 game talk, and we also have an exclusive interview with Johnny Fewings from JFMC. Alright, so Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was which is advertised as being out this Friday, but yeah. you and I saw it yesterday on Wednesday. Yeah, they, uh, they moved the release date up, and I think one of the problems they had was uh, too many secrets were being spoiled Sony on the, on the advertisement. On the advertisement trail, I mean, there's been so many trailers, been so many posters, TV spots, uh, you know, press interviews about this film that you, you know, avoid them altogether because you may just end up knowing the uh, the entire plot of the movie before you go in. Yeah. That being said, it is directed by Mark Webb again, who did direct the American Spider-Man, the American yeah. Spider-Man, the amazing, wow. the amazing Spider-Man reboot back in 2012, and he also did 500 Days of Summer with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah. and. Can we, Zoe Deschanel. Can we talk about the American Spider-Man? I'm curious about <laughs> no. no, we can't. All right, so it stars it Andrew Garfield, exist. Emma Stone, Jamie Foxx, and how do you say this name? Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So You, you um, go for the plot because... <laughs> all right, so the plot is... Well, let's recap. Let's recap number one. Recap number one is an origin story of Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, one of the problems that many people had with the first one is that it was only a few years after Sam Raimi had ended his Spider-Man trilogy and people were saying, why do we need to retell the origin of Spider-Man? Yes. And I kind of get that from a certain perspective because they don't add that much I was more to people, it. I was one of people when I saw a new Spider-Man yeah. film coming out of a new actor and everything and it was a reboot. I was sort of like, what? We've I was excited because I really like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, but I, I can see where people were coming from and I understood the fact that they didn't want another origin story and I kind of wish that Sony had you know, skip the whole uh, spider bite, uh, becoming a hero nonsense, and just gone straight to him being Spider-Man. Yeah. And just basically started with this film, because this film is the film which they wanted to make. The Amazing Spider-Man back in 2012 feels like a stepping stone. It feels like a necessary step in order to get them on the on the trajectory, which they are now on. And, you know, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I loved it. And they, they firmly plant their feet in the ground and say, this is where we're heading. Because there's so many references to... Uh, what they're planning for the future. I mean, and I'm, I'm not just talking about Amazing Spider-Man 3, I'm talking about the Sinister Six movie, which they've greenlit, with Drew Goddard writing and directing, yep. uh, which is going to be all villains, which is a very interesting concept, actually, for a, yeah, a, a superhero movie, or, you know, non-superhero movie, movie as it may be. Um, but yeah, let's get back to the first the, Amazing Spider-Man movie. Oh, first one. Yeah. Uh, so it starts off, uh, Peter's being left at his aunt and uncle's house because his parents have just abandoned him, seemingly, yeah, uh, the, you know, there's a kind of a mystery around this, and I remember at the time the film trailers, all the promotional material promoted this untold story of Spider-Man, and then it wasn't in the film. Yes, it was all cut out, which was you know, a massive shame. Um, and then yeah, he um he sneaks into Oscar. He sneaks into Oscar, gets bitten by a spider, get, becomes gets, Spider-Man. Gets bitten by a spider. Yeah, <laughs> and then and he fights the lizard. Fights fights lizard. Um, Doctor Kurt Connors. You've got your ongoing love battle with him and Gwen Stacy this on rather than Mary Jane. You've yeah, Gwen Stacy's the love interest, which, you know, she's the original love interest from the comics, which is great. Yeah, and um, yeah, the film sort of ends with him saying, well, this is it. The film ends, he vows to try and stay away from Gwen. From Gwen, because her father, spoiler, dies in the battle at the end of the movie. Um, you know, and this, this you know, there are repercussions of this, because the Spider-Man universe is all about uh, sort of the repercussions of your actions and your choices. That's, That's what Spider-Man has always been about. You know, and he, he chooses to at the end of uh, the amazing spider-man one to, to sort of try and get back together with gwen and that choice 
has serious repercussions down the line. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one of the big changes in, in The Amazing Spider-Man was actually a change in villain, almost, because we, we were talking about this earlier. The first two of Raimi's Spider-Man films were actually almost quite grounded. You know, they had a, they had a very nuanced explanation of where the Green Goblin came from and where Doc Ock came from. And yeah. They were very sciencey Technology science. Yeah, you know, altering people's minds and altering people's bodies, but, you know, not extravagantly so. No, it was um, all, all science. And the third film jumps into Aliens and Sandman, which is very, exactly. uh, very it, extravagant. It felt very jarring. Whereas this movie, and, you know, one of the things uh, which superheroes movies in general used to do was kind of boycott their more fantastical elements. Yeah. You know, and we got this actually with the with the Nolan Batman trilogy, which, you know, I'm using as a bit of a scapegoat here. I mean, I, I, lo- I love those films, but they, they do, they are a prime example of this, of a comic book adaption sh- kind of shunning its... It's comic book origins. Yeah. I mean, this is a comic movie. It's fantastical. It should be. And the Amazing Spider-Man franchise has embraced that. And they, you know, they took a necessary step with the first movie by using the lizard and they just build on that and they build on it brilliantly yeah. in this. What I do love about this film, so far, well, we didn't even talk about the plot yet. This <laughs> Goodness <laughs> recap me. the plot. Right, recap the plot. So Spider-Man is trying to hold things together when, at the same time, he's yeah. safe. He's become well-known now in um, New York. Yeah, because there, the, there was a strand in the first movie about Spider-Man being a vigilante, which was, you know, you know what? It's kind of a necessary step for all superhero movies to take almost yeah. these days. But it's not one which Spider-Man should really go down because, you know, I like it when he's happy being Spider-Man. He shouldn't not want to be Spider-Man. No. Because Spider-Man is always, you know, the, the confliction between Peter Parker and Spider-Man, he always chooses Spider-Man because it's, it's kind of, it's what he prefers to be. That's who he is. And so there shouldn't really be a confliction between him wanting to be Peter Parker. No. It's an interesting story to do one off, but uh, he should always be Spider-Man. Yeah. And so the new movie starts with New York loving him and him. Yeah, New York loves him. He's trying to balance his love life with Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Um, and then down the line, new villains are introduced to the film. So yeah, from the this trailers, movie, people El- will be well aware of Electro, Jamie Foxx. Um, and Green Goblin, who originally was uh, kind of shunned and said, oh, he's only, he's only really a small part of the movie. He's a lot more integral uh, than you might suspect yes. from the trailers. But, you know, they're, they're both handled differently to what villains have been handled in Spider-Man franchise in the past, particularly Green Goblin. Very different yeah. portrayal. Well, there's still the debate on Hobgoblin, Green Goblin, because mm. when I looked it up, being a fan of Spider-Man, I was saying, well, that's Hobgoblin. Well, I've, well and then we've um, you know, without going now. into too much spoilers, no surprise to anyone who's <laughs> seen the trailer. I'm trying not to spoil it. No su- right, if you've seen the trailers, fine. We're going to talk as if you've you know, actually seen the trailers. If not, go and watch them. Or, you know, Better still, don't watch them. Go and watch the movie and then come back and listen to this. If you've seen the trailers, you'll understand that Harry is the Green Goblin. Yes. Right. His father isn't. And so there isn't the, the, the kind of succession line between Green Goblin and Hobgoblin. Yeah. Almost. So that, that's why that is. You know, he becomes the Green Goblin because he's the first, essentially. Yeah. So anyway, we're getting way so ahead of ourselves. The plot is pretty standard. Spider-Man is now loved by New York. Two new supervillains arise and Spider-Man has to stop them. Yeah, he's kind of, he's torn between... You know, he is torn between wanting to stop being Spider-Man and be a grand. But he never, he never actually, he, he never gets torn between wanting to stop being Spider-Man. He gets torn between wanting to to be with Gwen That's and it. wanting to having to almost, you know, always go off and save. And you I know, think it's New important York. to point out is the acting and the on-screen chemistry between Emma Stone mm. and Andrew Garfield is fantastic and so countries. believable. Well, this is the thing. I mean, we you know, I, you know, we talked about all the fantastical elements. Electro in this, electric eels, you know. How mad is that? But yeah. it kind of works. And I really like, you know, 
if you look at the comic books, Electro is a guy in a green and yellow suit with kind of lightning bolts looks on his very head. Childish. Looks very stupid. And in this, he's kind of he's, he, he's transformed well. and he's blue essentially, and electricity is just surging through him, and it's very well done. That being said, all the fantastical elements can be pushed aside because the focus, and you know, it is what the film is is kind of uh, uh, kind of hooked on. Essentially, is the relationship between Peter and Gwen. And that's it. Throughout the Very first well three films, um, Sam Raimi's trilogy, yeah. you wanted to see more action scenes. But in this, I would quite happily see more of Peter yeah. Parker and I Gwen think Stacy. The, I think what they've done is actually, not to compare too much with other superhero movies, but they've created a believable relationship at the heart of it. And one which you can fully get behind. And one which, you know, when, it, when, it, when things get tough or when it, when it challenges, when they challenge one another or, if, you know, if they have an argument, it kind of you, you go with them and you feel that pain, yeah. you know. And the same as when they're when they're feeling good, you you feel you feel happy for them. Um, you know, the first the the first three films, the Raimi trilogy, you never had that. You had a, a kind of a likable relationship between Peter and Mary Jane. You never had a lovable one. No, and you never had one which you could fully believe in. Whereas this, the the two actors, you know, Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield, they have such chemistry on screen. It just works. Yeah, and it becomes the heart of the movie. I think we need to touch on the opening scene of the film. How quick you're roped into it. Yeah, I mean, it just it, it starts it starts off with an action scene, which you know some people would say, oh, yeah, just explosions, explosions, explosions. But the one thing which is great about this, I mean, you remember Man of Steel, right? Oh yeah, it's great. You know, lots of action. He never seems to save anyone. No, and you know, there's a big criticism of that movie in this film alone. He saves so many people. And, you know, the open action scene, not the one with with his parents. We won't, we won't go into too much detail about that. The first action scene, which you see a lot in the trailer, with Rhino, he, uh, he ends up saving a lot of individuals along the way. And I tell you what as well, it's funny. The whole movie is just genuinely funnier yeah, than anything which has preceded it. That's one of the things that I think this film, for me, secured it as its own... Um, its own franchise over yeah. the Sam Raimi trilogy just because of how different the Spider-Man character is. The amount of comedy involved. So one of yours, my favourite scenes was where a, where a villain pulls a knife on Spider-Man. Yeah, oh, in, he, the, in uh, the Amazing Spider-Man. And he's got, it. not a knife, my weakness is small knives. And he's just joking around. Great scene, I mean, you know, kind of ruined by the trailer. But that's what I like about this. It's very distinct. And the Amazing Spider-Man was, was kind of palpable in that sense is that it was funnier. And the relationship between Peter and Gwen in that movie as well was, was the heart and soul of the film. Yeah. But as a whole, it kind of, it didn't pull itself together. It felt a bit patchworky to me. I mean, we've talked about this, you know, uh, outside of the podcast where I've said that the, it was kind of plagued by reshoots. And you can see That's the it. you can see the joints in the movie where it's, it, it's two, like, you know, two shoots six months apart being put together, which usually is fine. It just for some reason doesn't work there. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas this movie feels on a whole like its own film. It feels like its own franchise. It feels like the beginnings of something fantastic for Sony. Yeah, I can't wait for the next film. And I think to close, mm. we need to point out that uh, fans of Spider-Man, the anima- animation, the comics will be rewarded through this film. There's so many Yeah, references. so many nods. I mean, it's what it's doing, you know, some people have criticized it saying it, it, it's just, it's filling it with bits and pieces, but you're not going to get rewarded on until much later in the franchise i don't care because what sony are doing is saying look we own all the spider-man properties use them put them in the movie i mean the first one didn't feel like a spider-man movie because you know i mean they they were trying to kind of distinguish it from the raimi movies and not have the daily bugle not have uh some of the villains not have harry osborne or norman osborne in it that much and this time around they've said you know what 
we are distinct from the Raimi movies. We do have these elements. We do have uh, Felicia Hardy. You know, yeah. she, she pops up in a few scenes. We do have uh, Rhino. We do have... Uh, the music. Yeah, exactly. You know, use it. So overall, in a word, Liam? I'm not going to say it. Oh, I'm okay. not going to say, say it. it. Amazing. All right. I'm, I'm glad that you got that out of your system. <laughs> I did. I did. Definitely go. Definitely well worth seeing the cinema and cannot definitely. wait to see the third. Yes, Mama. But a da. What's it? Hi, Ma. How are you? Hello, Ma. Hello, Ma. Hello, 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 Ma. To find out more about the film 118 Lenses, visit our Twitter at HSS Forge. Okay, this is a first because we haven't done any TV previews for a while. It's always been reviews or recommendations. Yeah, yeah but there's a, there's a very interesting show uh, coming out in May in America. It will be on Sky Atlantic sometime after, you know, one or two months later. It's called Penny Dreadful. Okay, right? I've seen trailers for it. You've seen trailers for it. I, I mean, they, they, when they uh, simulcast Game of Thrones, they, they were advertising this quite a yes. lot. It's got Eva Green, a Josh Hartnett. Timothy Dalton, Billy Piper, and Rory, Rory Kinnear. Another yeah. Bond actor. Yeah, I know, I know. It's got loads of Bonds, Bond cast everywhere. Okay. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. exciting. Yes. <laughs> Are you done? Bond. Right. It's a psychological thriller set in Victorian London and follows characters from classic horror literature. You know, uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein's Monsters also in it. Dorian yeah. Gray. Exactly, yeah. Mina Harker from the Dracula novel. Exactly. There's loads. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, we can't really say much. Um, the trailers are online, obviously, on you know YouTube or wherever. If you go onto Sky Atlantic's website, I'm sure there's more information on there. But one of the things that really interests me about this is that it's, it's horror on TV. Because we talked about this with Hannibal a few weeks ago. Yeah, we said that horror as a TV doesn't really seem to work as a genre. It's yeah. not worked for a long time. And Hannibal is bringing that back. Mm. And I mean, Hannibal is so distinct, so brilliant. Yeah. This... It, again, seems like a very distinct show that's got a very unique concept to it. I mean, some hi- very high-profile actors, so it clearly is very well-written. Well, they've been in Bond, of course, they're high-profile actors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, but it, again, I mean, it, it seems like a move, really, for, for for horror, you know, into television, away from film. Because we, we've been talking about this for a while, because I know that you're a big fan of horror films. I'm not so keen on them. Yeah. But there haven't been many many great ones out for a while. No. Nope. And I think there's there's a there's a big shift in in horror as a genre to TV. And I think we're going to see much more of this in future. But for now, uh, if you're not watching Hannibal, go and watch it and read our re, you know re, read the stuff that's on rushesmagazine.com yeah, and listen pieces. to our other podcasts which feature it as well. And you know, look forward to Penny Dreadful. Yeah, Sky that Atlantic. looks brilliant. If you're a fan of True Blood or Being Human or anything along, yeah. along those lines of supernatural different natural characters then it's it's well worth looking at the trailer at least definitely is that a regular thing? yeah yeah you know, just a single bachelor looking for company if you want to learn more about our film Pigeons, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash pigeonsfilm.
Sterling, you've got another mobile game for us to talk about. Yeah, I'm going to tie this into our feature this right. week. Um, Roller Coaster Tycoon 4 uh, is out soon um, for Windows. And I'm a big fan of the original Yeah, I games. used to play it when I was younger. Yeah, Roller Coaster Tycoon 1, 2 and 3. Really big fan of them. I, think I, I had 2, I think, was the, yeah. was the big one for me. They were absolutely brilliant. Um, and I'm looking really forward to the fourth game. But... What are they going to change for a fourth game? Anyway, you know what? But, but they have released a mobile version of the game yeah. to sort of sort of just get our <laughs> get our taste buds going a little bit. And I thought, excellent. I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna look gonna get have a bit of a play on it. It was for um It's ma- it sounds like it made you sick more than salivate. Yeah. <laughs> I got it with my phone, really excited. Yeah. Um I was out on the bus and I thought, okay, excellent. I've got a 20 minute bus journey, ideal. Just on the bus. I was on the bus. I wasn't <laughs> Not going the... anywhere in particular, just, <laughs> just on the bus. On a parked <laughs> bus. And um it turns out that it's another one of these uh, microtransaction games where you start to build a ride and it says it'll be complete. Oh, so, so you in, download it for free and then you yeah, have to pay. It'll to, be complete you know. in five minutes, or you can pay to make it faster, or you can then pay real money to get these gems that you can use to get better rides and everything. Uh, and I was so disappointed that that's yeah, happened. I hate those kind of games. I hate those kind of games not because of you know. I mean, yeah, you know, some people may like it. I think I think they're kind of addictive as well, but. It's when kids get a hold of them, and they have their, you know, their parents' iTunes account oh, or whatever. One. Yeah, it was or um, their Google account. They just I can't remember bye, what bye, game, bye. What, I can't remember what game it was for, but there was a big one in mm. the news uh, last year. I think it was where I think it was. I think it was for like Peppa Pig or something. It was. A, it was a kids' of, brand. Yeah, a six-year-old was playing his mother's iPad and racked up a bill of six grand or something like that. Yeah, but to me, at the same time, I was watching it, thinking, well, why have you got your car details saved on there? Like, so like your child people with, are no, with no password protection. Yeah. Yeah, I find that a bit a bit daft, but that's not the point. These games <laughs> are becoming, they're flooding the game yeah. market, especially on mobile platforms. Well, as well, I kind of noticed this, that you get a lot of these games developed by small companies or, or you know independent gamers, and they kind of copy existing brands. There was one. Uh, there was one on, on on the Google Play Store that I found on my phone the other day, and it just looked like Halo, but uh, you know, a kind of one where you you build the environment and build yeah. bases and stuff. But the design in that was just Halo. Well, um, it's interesting that you say normally smaller ones because what's disappointing is that Atari have developed Rollercoaster Tycoon Four, yeah. and they're not a small company. They <laughs> have made some fantastic games, so I'm really disappointed to see that they've. Well, I mean, I mean, think about it this way: they're a big company that's done lots of games in the past for for consoles and for arcade machines. Mobile gaming is probably not one of their strengths, so they don't know how to tap the market. But this way is definitely not the way. No. You know, you know, in-game purchases for me are just uh, an absolute shambles because you know, it, make people pay, uh, you know, five quid to download Rollercoaster Token for in its completeness, you know, and be able to play it that way rather than saying you can have this for free, but because it's such an untrustworthy thing to do. And it, like I say, it's addictive. If you get into it and you want to keep paying and, you know, whatever, you could rack up a huge bill. Yeah, well, I know for a fact um, our guest last week, Rachel Watts. Yeah. Um, a game that her and I are a big fan of, Awesome Thoughts, um, which is available on What's Steam. That? It's um, a, a 2D side-scroller where you, you're you um, playing on opposing teams and you're battling to take over the battlefield. Right. Um, really fun game, comic-style graphics. Um, you pay for the game, but then you can buy extra characters for a small amount. They release yeah. these DLC packages, and that's an interesting one because it's... Well, I, th- I think add-on have... packages are different to in-game purchases. 
Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's an interesting one because you pay for the game, but then they say they're going to give you new characters, but then they add on this price rather than just saying you can have this character for free, you know, you've paid for the game. Um, yeah, I think I think that's actually pretty bad as well. I think it depends on how much money has to go into it because to make a new character for that game, I don't think it would cost that much. Whereas you think of new maps like for Call of Duty, new map packs, um, new weapons and things like that. They clearly Obviously, cost a lot money. of detail. Has yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the things as well, if it's smaller companies, they're clearly trying to make a profit. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you, they need to survive. They need to continue. They need to be able to continue making games and they need money to do so. Just do not exploit your customer. No. You know, like people are going to start playing Rollercoaster Tycoon 4 and go, this is great. The game's free. Oh, no, I have to pay. And they'll either pay for it and then give up, which is, you know, waste of money. Or they'll just not play it at all. What it is that I don't like about microtransactions is when you can succeed and have access to better things um, by paying for money. So, for example, one of the things that I do not mind is League of Legends, which is a massive, massive computer game. Uh really interesting but you can pay for new characters but they're no stronger than older characters which to me is fine so it's up to you if you want to get these different characters but by buying them you won't be out oh okay else. i get what you mean so they're not they're not putting something out there which defeats all other characters yeah you know like saying oh you can buy this trump card and then you can go kill 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 and then you win the game yes yeah, that's just boring I essentially disagree with those microtransactions yeah because not only does it encourage you to pay for it but it ruins the game for people who have done exactly. it and want to yeah. play it you know i mean it's just like you know what's the point of playing a game if you can win it in three seconds that's exactly it i mean um ea are one of they they are always looking to get money from different methods and there was outrage when they introduced um when they introduced that you had to subscribe to play their games online. Uh, oh, you mean the... I, I saw this, and I didn't fully understand. So when people buy FIFA, they have to... If you they, now, they buy the game, and then they have to continue paying. If you now get... No, no. If you now get a second-hand right. copy of FIFA, yeah. you have to pay to get a subscription to play it online. So essentially, they're basically saying, buy a new copy. So you yeah. can't... So it just defeats the second-hand market. That's, that's bad. I don't like that. I think the second-hand market needs to thrive. Yeah. Um, but with EA... Uh, one of their most popular games, Battlefield, yeah. uh, online, big, popular online for its multiplayer, massive maps, massive Battlefield, lots of uh, players at once. Um, you can, on Battlefield 3, you rank up as you get more kills and more experience, and you unlock weapons as you rank up uh, for right. different packages. So you can get assault rifle packages, uh, submachine guns, sniper rifles. Um, but... At the beginning of Battlefield 3, rather than spend however long it takes you, depends on how good a player you are, say it takes five hours to unlock three weapons, instead of doing that, you could just pay a fee and have them all given to you straight away. That's a bit pointless. That's a fee subjective of playing a game. I suppose I wouldn't want to... I personally wouldn't want to sit there for three hours trying to unlock a gun. But then saying <laughs> that, if you're going to be enjoying your time online, what defeats the object for me more in that? It's sort of... It's, to me, that's a double negative because you're paying more money... You're going to be playing the game less, but paying more money. So if you didn't pay that money, you'd be getting your money's worth unlocking these weapons because you're playing it more, but then you've paid more money to get the weapons so you don't have to play it as much. Yeah. It just seems completely That does ludicrous. seem insane. Let's move on to uh, the other bit of gaming news, which is that Facebook yeah. is going to start up their own uh, on, on yeah. online digital money thing. Yeah. What's interesting in this is that Facebook um, is trying to launch its own virtual currency service in Europe. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. So apparently they are weeks away from having approval to have have a uh, 
digital payment uh, processor, which is right. So this is going to be essentially like Bitcoin, so digital money, really. Yeah, they're trying to rival things like Google Wallet. Yeah, essentially, I think what Facebook are trying to do is say you you have a digital part of money, and then Facebook will connect you with e shops uh, and and kind of their own their own games and their own app purchases and stuff like that and they say okay so you've got 10 pound in your wallet you can spend it on these shops the the problem i have with this digital money is once you spend it and get your digital coins you can't get it back yeah it's how quick there's no kind of the retransaction to get money back in your bank account yeah and i get it i get it's another currency i just don't like the idea of it we need something to advertise ba film and fun a man with an explosion behind it no, something romantic! A beautiful woman on a beach. You came. Of course I came, I love you. No, something intellectual. A metaphor of us discussing how to advertise a BA from a filmer. Ah, that's too cliche. Now we have an exclusive interview with Johnny Fumes from JFMC on producing and digital distribution. Um, so you started at Virgin Records and you rise to a, manager- a managerial position before becoming an MD of Virgin Retail. Um, Was that a route that you always wanted to take? No, I didn't know. I left university at 21. I'd got no idea what I wanted to do. Mm. Went to Virgin Records, just went by the shop one day, Marble Arch, and uh, got a job. To be honest, I mean, I got a job as a trainee manager um, on the back of the fact that I told them I'd worked in a record shop. And a pal of mine had a record shop. Mm. which I used to sometimes stand behind the counter for longer, no longer than two minutes. And so I got the job as training manager, first ever training manager at Virgin. They fired me within a month when they realised I was not any, I'd never worked in a record shop in my life. Yeah. And uh, it was Christmas 1976, so I said, can I be a Christmas boy? You're taking on st- on students and stuff. And they said, sure, we like you, but you just don't know what you're doing. So you can be a Christmas boy. So I'd got that job. And then uh, somebody left at Christmas, somebody left. And so I got their job. And then I was a full-time employee. And then within a year, I was the manager of the Marble Arts shop. And then within four years from that, so five years in total, I was MD of Virgin Retail. And I did that for most of the 80s. Okay, and then you moved into uh, video distribution, particularly the comedy video market. So I was just going to wonder what made you want to switch to video distribution, the the journey from... It's less, I mean, my whole journey of work has been less about what I wanted to do and what came Mm. by. Um, uh, And I think that's going to be the same for a lot of people. I don't know whether other people plan their lives and it all goes to plan, but um, I left Virgin in 88 started working in a video distribution company, which is more like a pick-pack ship, not really involved in the content, just shifting boxes to our price and Virgin. And then Virgin Vision asked me to go and work at their label. Um, and really there wasn't any money. This was, it was no longer owned by Virgin. Um, this was 91 and there was no money. So we started doing comedy videos. And Billy Connolly was fantastic, and then Eddie Izzard and Jack D and Lee Evans. And we built up this huge business, um, me and a lady called Helen Parker, uh, who I still work with today, 23 years later. Um, we built up a comedy label which then Polygram bought. So in 93, Polygram bought that label 
for the fact that it had all this great comedy. And she still does it. Um, and so, so Universal then, in the end of the 90s, bought Polygram. And Helen still does all the, you know, Michael McIntyre's and, and all the comedy videos. Yeah. And she sits next to me 23 years later. Okay, but yeah. you moved from from Polygram when they got acquired by Universal yeah. to 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 being an MD of Universal in two thousand and two. Yeah, uh, what was your role within that? You know, your, your new U- title. Okay, at Universal, I was the head of the home entertainment division, so that was DVD to you and me. So I ran the DVD company mm. for the UK and Ireland. Okay, um, so moving into your role as a as a producer, your modern day yeah. job. Uh, what attracts you to the vi- the variety of projects which you take on? So, as uh, 4321, Storage 24, Fantastic Fear of Everything, these, these are quite varied projects. Yeah. What attracts you to a project? Is it the the concept or a particular star and director? It, well, uh, to be brutally honest, uh, because I'm I'm just an employee, or not an employee, I'm I'm being paid by somebody to give them more money back than they gave me. And so the first thing has to always be, do I think commercially it's gonna work? And that'll be the that'll be the thing. What's the second best thing is if you love what you're doing. So I think all the films I've ever been involved in, I've I've been very proud to be involved in. But the number one thing is always going to be, is it going to make money or lose money? And if it's going to lose money, even if it's my favourite artist of all time, then I won't do it. Yeah. yeah. Building on that, building on that, sorry. Uh, one of the projects you talked about today was Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie, yeah. which is an interesting one because it seems to me that it's only going to capitalise within the UK market. Is that something you thought about when taking on the project? Yeah, uh, Australia loves Mrs. Brown as well. Yeah, Australia and UK are both huge. And Mrs. Brown is amazing because it's the you know the biggest TV show. It blew everybody away at Christmas with the TV specials. And when we first started talking about it two years ago, the UK film industry is littered with TV sitcoms um, that have failed on the big screen. And the in-between is obviously was fantastic. Alpha Papa, the Alan Partridge film, was fantastic. But if you go back otherwise, you'll see more that have failed and have succeeded. And so it was a big challenge, and Brendan O'Carroll and Stephen Mc- Brendan O'Carroll is the obviously the creator, and Stephen McCrum is the producer, and Ben Kellett, the director. You know, we sat down, and uh, and I think we've got a film that's going to blow everybody away. It's, I'm not going to say anything to spook it before we release it, but I'm very very happy with the film. It it works as a full feature film. Mm. Do you think it has the ability to go? Um, obviously, you've mentioned Australia, but maybe the US or other areas of Europe. It's interesting. I don't know. I'd like to think so, but we'll have to wait and see. Whether or not... The interesting thing will be whether people who who don't know the TV show enjoy the film. Mm-hmm. And that'll be the test. And if they do, then it obviously can play anywhere. And if you need to know the sitcom, then it won't. But I, I, think, I think it does, but time will tell. Yeah. Um, let's move on to digital as a as a as a, a film which has changed film production and distribution. Mm. Um, how has this changed your job and how you select projects and how you think that that they will work on the UK market and on the international market? Two things really. Films can be made. Three things. One, films can be made a lot cheaper than they used to be able to be made. So there's I mean, coming back to Mrs. Brown, 
where we use the helicam, which is like a tiny, tiny, tiny helicopter with a remote you would have as a toy, um, rather than a helicopter. So you can suddenly, I mean, you can suddenly shoot scenes that previously would have cost tens or hundreds of thousands for a fraction of that cost. So that's fantastic. So the, it brings the cost down. Um, secondly, the distribution of films, where previously, first of all, the 35 mil prints were costing a lot of money, which we don't have to do anymore. But secondly, and more importantly, the proliferation of the iPad and the um, the love film and Netflix and and basically the computer as just a media device is has crashed and turned our worlds upside down in a good way. I said three things, and what was the third one? The uh, the, the new technology. The Windows, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the the third one would be the Windows. The fact that uh, a film can now get wide distribution um, without relying on the cinema chains. Mm. Um, do you believe in uh, sort of the next model of distribution is simultaneous release? So the same day it goes out in cinemas, it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray, um, and maybe even possibly on television as well. This worked for a field in England, the latest Ben Wheatley film. Yeah. Do you think this could work in a more general sense for yeah. the film as a whole? Yeah, I think it. I think it will always be a mix, um, but I think the opportunity for for we'll say smaller but it doesn't necessarily have to be smaller mm. but there'll be films that, that reaches or designed for a certain audience where the short window will work and there will be films that are, are built for a longer window audience and a bigger blockbuster you know 20 30 40 million pound box office which would work the more traditional window but the opportunity now to see I mean, what you want, when you want, and where you want, uh, is 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 around the corner for sure. Do you think that those those new models of distribution, so video on demand, love film, which is now Amazon Instant Video, Netflix, do you think they are causing a decline in DVD and Blu-ray sales? I think yeah. All I mean, all different formats will compete with each other. I think overall volumes are good, but you know, it would be, be silly. DVD physical hard disc DVD sales. Are falling, and the digital sales are going up. You know, it would be so the content generally is, is still fine, um, but there will always be older models. Um, in the same way with music, you know, CDs CDs are selling a lot less than the digital downloads, but it's all good because it's just things moving on. You know, VHS. We don't sell any VHS anymore. Mm. But I mean, when I first, when I when DVDs first came in, I had people saying to me, "You must be worried." Uh, why, why am I worried about it? And they'd say, well, you, you work in the video business, don't you? Yeah. Well, videos are dead. Oh, you don't get it. I'm, you know, I go from video to DVD. It's only the content and whether people still are keen to consume content and watch films. Um, so from our, that point of view, we're, we're more interested in uh, are people still enthusiastic to watch films and how can we make it so they're even more enthusiastic and it's easier for them to watch. Do you think the, the triple play and the double play features which come with DVD and Blu-rays now, so you get uh, a DVD, Blu-ray and a digital copy yeah. in one package, do you think yeah. those are, are sort of fueling that? You know, people are choosing to spend the extra, say, £5 yeah. on the disc as well yeah. as opposed to just Some a digital do. copy? I think the thing that what's happening is that everybody's now being given a different way that suits them. Mm. So, so there are some people that... I mean, it's that where you want, when you want, and how you want. And so if people think, okay, I, I still am somebody that wants a physical copy, 
and so but I watch a lot of things on my iPad and on my on my Mac so if I want to keep it though I don't really want to keep a load of stuff in the cloud I don't know why maybe it's an old thing but I get annoyed by my cloud having all this junk in it whereas if it was on the shelf I would be less annoyed um, so I find that quite attractive but other people would say I'm more than happy just to have a digital copy yeah um, a problem for for consumers that I see quite regularly is that film distribution is kind of um, a problem which I see is that different formats, different players, so Love Film, uh, Netflix and Sky, they all have different content. And I think this is a problem for consumers who are having to pay for different services. Do you, do you agree with that? Say again? Like, say, uh, if one particular person wants to watch some films on Netflix, but Amazon have different films yeah. and Sky have different content. Yeah, I get and it. And having to pay. See, so you don't want exclusivity of content, really, anyway. No. Um, I think the thing is, I understand why that, that's a good question and some people would be worried about it. I think from the content owner's point of view though, they need to make a return on their investment. So they've spent so much money mm. on creating whatever that platform is, that they then have to make sure they can attract people to it and exclusive content. It's Sky with the football. You know, Sky spent uh, brilliantly in my view a load of money building Sky and then they created exclusive content in order to drive the brand and get the money back and people were unhappy that you, you know, when the cricket was on wasn't on BBC anymore it was only on Sky people were unhappy with that understandably mm. but the business model only works and so we all like having Sky around us but we don't like the exclusive content so you can't kind of have it both ways so yeah. I think it's a I think it's a a necessity to be honest. Okay. So uh, to finish up, what's next for you? Can you tell us anything about what you're working on now? Obviously, you've got Mrs. Brown's Mrs. Brown's yeah. Boys, the movie coming out, and the anomaly. The anomaly. The next two films, the two films that are in, well, we're virtually finished, but they're in post production. And the anomaly, which is Noel Clarke, Ian Somerhalder, Alexis Knapp, and Brian Cox in a thriller where a guy only has nine minutes forty-seven seconds every now and again, like months apart to when he's conscious to work out what's happening to him when he's not conscious he's in some other kind of other world so it's a thriller in a similar style to films like Memento uh, and then Mrs Brown is uh, hugely exciting Mrs Brown hopefully will be a big opportunity a big film yeah yeah the Anomaly movie is, uh, is an interesting one for me because obviously I've been following it on Twitter obviously Noel Clarke is a, is a big you know, responds greatly to his yeah. fans online do you think that those new forms of social media can help film distribution and to, to build up a yeah, buzz essentially. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we, the Anomaly trailer went live yesterday at 11, and within two hours, it was like 880,000 opportunities to see or something, you know, which only a few years ago would have cost tens of thousands to get that kind of reach. And social networking gets you there. And it gets you to the right audience as well. And again, you know, if you did an advert on Coronation Street years ago, only you know, 10, 20% of the people that were watching it and that you were therefore paying to get to would be likely audience. Whereas now with social media, um, people, the only people, you don't, you don't bother to follow people that you're not interested in. Yeah. Um, lastly then, uh, what advice do you have for, for budding film, 
budding filmmakers wanted to distribute their films? Do you think they should go all digital and attack the social media and try and get it onto platforms like YouTube or Vimeo, places where it can be seen by everyone, where they can build an audience mm. and then try and build a career? Do you think that's a viable I think it's a great option? place to start. I mean, it depends. It depends what you've, what you've got. But if you want to... You, what you do now is an opportunity to um, quite cheaply showcase your talent. Mm. And, and and what you're not showcasing just your talent, you're showcasing the fact that that other people appreciate what you do. So you're not just pitching it to one film exec or ten film execs. What you can do is you can you can do something, you can then attract an audience to it because it's good and it has a following. And then you take that to your film execs and say, a million people watched this in the last two months because because um, I have an appeal, and then that, that will interest them as much as anything. Yeah. So the numbers, maybe sometimes more than the content, yeah. is what is what's Check out like MJ that. Delaney with Powder Room. Yeah. Um, and it's a brilliant example of what she did. Okay. Well, uh, that concludes. Thank you very Good. much. All right. Nice one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Screen Out Loud. Uh, if you want to read more reviews or games or TV, visit RussianMagazine.com. You can visit our blog at Screen Out Loud Web, at WordPress. What is it? Screen Out Loud Podcast. Dot wordpress.com goodness me and yeah. that's we're it also from... also some interesting news uh we're also on soundcloud oh yes so i just wanted to add that goodness me yeah you can i now... mean if you're already listening to this you're probably on soundcloud but you know <laughs> you can now download our episodes and listen yeah. to them on there's your there's probably phone. a download button right there and on soundcloud you should be i'm imagining it but there's probably one right there anyway i'm gonna let you go because i i'm just i'm just jibber jabbing yeah <laughs> so thank you for listening uh ben light is taking a short break um we can't tell you when the next episode will be up Next episode will probably be in two weeks, but there'll still be content coming up on the website. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep on Twitter. And there may be some specials. Uh, we're talking with the festival directors of the Pixar Film Festival here at Falmouth. And hopefully we'll have a special up for you next week. Uh, you know, an interview with the festival directors would be great. They'll tell you what's coming up in the festival, what they've got planned, some of the guests, some of the films that are screening. It's going to be great. Yep. If you're not following us on Twitter, that's where you'll find all the updates at Soul BTS.